And welcome to 40 Going on 14. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And this week, we're going to be joined by 12 additional hosts. What? what? Would you believe four additional <laughs> hosts? Uh, uh, would you believe only three hosts? Would you believe Mike's younger brother, Matthew? <laughs> I don't believe that, definitely. Oh, Matthew's not coming either? No, Matthew. No, Missed Matthew. it by that much. <laughs> and in case you couldn't figure it out by that, we are uh, engaging with, uh, well, we are, we are doing Get Smart this week with Maxwell Smart. Yes, episode 256. We are yes. getting smarter. Rur. S-M-R-T. I am so smart. <laughs> <laughs> and if you like... And as you also... Never mind. Oh, no, go ahead. No. <laughs> If you like say things, Andrew Sands Mike. <laughs> keep stepping on it, man. If you like Joel interrupting you constantly, you might like the shows on the Podcast Collective. Somehow he interrupts himself on his own show. <laughs> no Hope for Humanity. The Coffin Joe Cast. The Sunshine Happy Pants Hour. The Dog and Deuce Show. And of course, the Rad Dad Radio Hour. I so thought you were going to interrupt the Rad Dad Radio Hour, Josh. <laughs> and if you're interested in some of our older shows, you can find us on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com. And if you're doing it, well, noon, which one is the one that's uh, noon at noon o'clock? I almost said <laughs> Geek Life Radio. At noon, that's Geek Life Radio. Geek yeah. Life Radio, yeah. We still need to put that in there. And you can find oh, no, us also on uh, podchaser.com and now on iHeartRadio. Indeed. And if you want to uh, drop us a line, you can always email us at 40go14 at gmail.com or give us a call at our voicemail line, 708-NOW-RAP. Of course, that's 708-669-9727. It's been a while since we've gotten one, so you know anybody out there, feel free to reach out. Yeah, I was going to say, we haven't had a whole lot of listener feedback lately. There was uh, a little back and forth with our friend from over the pond, uh, Mr. Uh, David Schollenberger. And yep. Will Slacker sent us uh, a link of some sort. David is still threatening to make us uh, balloon busts of ourselves, but we have to send him pictures. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure it's not going to you know, like end up on the wall somewhere, like either some bathroom in a pub and britain or something <laughs> i'm pretty sure mine you just draw glasses on an actual just round balloon <laughs> uh, let's think rounds funny hey and don't forget uh, uh luke from chicago also sent us a message not too long. oh yeah that's right he was our oh. last voicemail i think right yeah i just noticed that uh will sent us a link to the monster squad versus predator a nerdist remix with monster squad Oh, and uh, we had a comment from Matt Flynn who said, I just saw a battle royale, loved it. Better than Hunger Games, in my honest opinion, due to the psychological, sociological components. I disagree, but Matt's a good guy. I think if they'd have delved a little more into it instead of just said, hey, these guys know each other. Oh, now they're dead. <laughs> these guys know oh, now they're dead. <laughs> well, these two killed themselves because they're in love. Yeah. But we didn't really establish that too much. I think if we could find some kind of, you know, a movie like in between those two, like like not quite so. Well, actually, you know what? I kind of like Hunger Games, so I'm going to take that back. Never mind. Did you see the other two yet? 
Uh, no, not yet. I honestly think that uh, they get... Uh, well, I think the second one's the best of the four, but uh, all of the other ones are better than the first one. Not, and really? I like the first one. I'm going to have to watch them then, because I just... I don't know. I just never... I watched the first two and never really saw... You know, never... never. And they're on my list. Yeah, same here. It's one of those things where I just... I want to watch them someday. Just you know, it's I got other more pressing issues. But anyway, anyway episode two fifty six. We yeah. just do two fifty five over again. We talk about <laughs> those again. No. they were prepared. I think that's a sign that it's about that time. It is definitely about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. And spurts. <laughs> I, I think you forgot to do it right. <laughs> it's that sort of light hit. <laughs> we, we we are obviously a little bit out of sync without Mike here running the show. So uh, if you're used to certain things, well, you know, you may not get them this week. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> this weekend, it looks like we are doing September 18th, 1965, which I'm not actually sure the relevance of. Because that's it's the, pi- not... the pilot of Get Smart. Oh, is it? I, th- I could have sworn that was in the 50s. Nope. According to IMDb, he was 65. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. All right. So music. The number one song in the land was Help by the Beatles. May have heard of them. Yep. That is a song I like by the Beatles, yes. but it's n- probably not in my top five. Might be top 10. I the like Help. It's a good song, but I mean, I, I don't even know if it's in my top 10. It's a little indie band out of Liverpool, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Might have heard of them. Uh, on September 13th, on the day... They released yesterday one of the most popular songs ever written. The Beatles won their first Grammy for Best Group of 1964. Now, yesterday is in my top five. Eh, maybe top ten. Yesterday's in my top ten, for sure. Yeah, good... It's going to be in the middle of the top. It's bottom of top five or like might be six or seven. But yeah, that is literally the most covered song in music history. Really? Huh. Yep. Huh. I didn't know that. I was trying to think of another one that would be even close to it, but I can't. I actually can't even think of anything. <laughs> Who let the dogs out? It's probably number two. <laughs> it's definitely number two. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, see what you did there. Right there with Macarena. Um, and rounding out the music episode, uh, music section of the tweet. <laughs> on September 12th, the Beatles appeared on the Ed Sullivan Shoe for the first time and final time performing, su- performing? performing <laughs> songs from their new album, Help. This appearance was videotaped on August 14th before the group launched their U.S. tour the following night at Shea Stadium. It's a Beatles-heavy music. Yeah. Indeed. Which is fine by me. I can live with that. All right. Then moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was the acronym of the week, OAT. Let's see. I'm pretty sure that's old-ass testicles. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be confused with the shitty college band OAR. (laughs) Old as testicles. You were very close. It was once a thief. Ah. <laughs> you, you, you think Hollywood is a lot more obsessed with genitalia than it is. <laughs> yeah. He's not wrong. In a perfect world. <laughs> yes, in a perfect world. <laughs> We'd get to see all of these movies that I guess every week. <laughs> all right. Prolific and controversial Hollywood director Brian Singer was born on September 17th, 1965. True story. Yep. Happy birthday, Brian. Moving on to TV. 
The top shows in the land were Bonanza, Gomer Pyle USMC, The Lucy Show, and The Red Skelton Show. Wow, There's going to very... be a lot of similarities in this week's tweet because uh, this was also when um, Lost in Space premiered, so we've done a couple of these already. So Ah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. It's a very 60s lineup. Yep, very much so. TV shoe, TV shoes. <laughs> TV shoes that premiered this week included F Troop, Lost in Space, Hogan's Heroes, I Dream of Genie, I Spy, Green Acres, The Wild Wild West, The Smothers Brothers Show, and put an and in there, and The Smother bro- kept, The I Smothers kept, Brothers Show. I can yeah. find so many. I just kept, <laughs> right. First, he said The Smother Brothers. <laughs> it's like it's a show about euthanasia. The Smother and Brothers Show. The Smothering Brothers show. Okay. <laughs> they just make That's like actually a, a great lineup of TV right there. Yeah, that really. I mean, how iconic is that lineup? So do they me? just make like a lot of chip beef on toast? <laughs> the Smothers Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This week you get one third more Joel than you. <laughs> <laughs> so do we. Uh, you're lucky. The Today Show airs their first ever all-color broadcast on September 13th. I'm not going there, Pat. You go there. <laughs> no, no, no. All I'm going to say is the last time we did this for The Lost in Space, we talked about how um, the Ed Sullivan show went, went color all-color for the first time this week. So I went with the other show this time. And... <laughs> Frederick Clinton Quimby was best known as producer for the Tom and Jerry cartoons for which he won seven Academy Awards. He was the film sales executive in charge of the MGM cartoon studio, which included Tex Avery and William Hanna and Joseph Barbera. He died peacefully in his home on September 16th. Absorbed. He was absorbed. Chowda. Say chowda. Wrong Quimby. Yeah, that's not the right Quimby. I know, but it was funnier that way. Wrong Quimby. Should be fun toast. Wrong Quimby. All right, moving on to sports. On September 12th, NBC took over telecast of the American Football League. Damn it. <laughs> the American Football League with the most with most of the games being broadcast in color for the first time. You got to stop typing things <laughs> while people are talking, Joel. Sorry, I no, that was me. Oh, that was you. That wasn't me. I wouldn't do that. Uh, I've never done that because it, I know it would mess up. <laughs> and I don't want to get messed up. I get messed up. On September 13th, Willie Mays hit his 500th home run off Don Nottlebart of the Houston Astros as the San Francisco Giants won their 11th straight. He was only the fifth Major League Baseball player to do so and the first African-American to enter the 500 club. Mays had 660 home runs at the close of his career in 1973. And? And. That is a lot of home runs, in case you couldn't figure that out. Yeah, that's, I mean, if they're calling it the 500 Club and there were only five of them before him, so. Yeah, exactly. And he was at 660. I mean, come on. He said it towards a 1,000 Club. There's there's only, I think, uh, four people now, I mean, right now, that have passed up 600. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's with all the steroids. Exactly. Like That is counting, like, you know, uh, Barry Bonds and his swelling head. (laughs) <laughs> talk about softball <laughs> all right moving on uh john william hearn known as jack hearn was a middlesex leg spinning all-rounder <laughs> cricketer who played from 1909 to 1936 mm-hmm. yep <laughs> 
and represented England in 24 test matches between 1911 and 1926, scoring 806 runs. Hmm. A skillful right-handed batsman, Hearn was exceptionally straight, <laughs> just like Josh. <laughs> yeah, Josh is the most straight guy I know. And a master at placing the ball in the gaps. While not an aggressive batsman, his skill allowed him to score at quite an efficient rate against the best bowlers. He bowled, his, he bowled leg spin from a very short run-up, but had such speed of action that he was almost medium pace. <laughs> <laughs> he died on September 14th. I am so glad we've got absorbed? cricket fans back. Oh, sorry to run over your absorbed. No, that's all right. I just, I was, uh, I, when he said medium pace, all I can think of, of course, is Adam Sandler. Salsa. Oh, I, thought oh, I was oh. thinking salsa too. <laughs> I didn't even think of the Sandler bit. Yeah. At a medium pace. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been too long since we've had cricket facts. Yeah. And there was uh, so many good cricket factoids and words in that paragraph. I had to, I had to put it uh, in the tweet. Yeah. That, that was, was like a, a smorgasbord. Yeah. That was a, that was a glorious return to cricket facts. I understood none of it. <laughs> right? I, 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 I read the entire article. I still don't understand all of it. I'm picking up way more of it than I should. Yeah, I'm starting to actually. It's not as it, it doesn't sound as foreign anymore. I still don't understand it, but at least I'm starting to be like, oh yeah, he, you know, I know what a batsman is. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> anyway, and the last bit of the tweet is Mickey Mantle played his two thousandth game for the Yankees on September eighteenth. Oof. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of freaking games. That is a lot of games. Is that before right. or after Maryland? It was it was before, during, and after. Oh. Oh well. I was just thinking when he actually hit uh No, they were married while he played. No, I just yeah. meant when he hit two thousand. That's all. Oh that oh um I don't know if they were still together at that point. Yeah, I don't know they're enough about them. I to... think she was with Arthur Miller at that point. Uh no, she was three years dead at that point. <laughs> All right, she wasn't dating anybody. <laughs> so she was single, is what I <laughs> I'm here and available. <laughs> All right. Take us out, keyboard Joel. Nah, 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 nah. All right. So this week we are covering uh Get Smart, starting with the TV series made famous by uh Don Adams and written by, to my surprise, uh Mel Brooks and Buck Henry. I didn't realize that. I actually did know that because this Get Smart was my first exposure uh, to Mel Brooks, and I, I was big on watching this in syndication when I was a kid. Me too. I mean, I've watched a bunch of these, but I didn't realize I just never paid attention that Mel Brooks, you know, was one of the writers. It just, I don't know what I was, I guess when I was a kid watching this show, because it premiered, you know, I mean, it was only seven years old when I was born. So, it, you know, it, it, it had already run its full run. It's it's like telling somebody that uh, Shel Silverstein wrote a boy named Sue. Right, exactly. <laughs> just one of those things where I just never knew. Like, how did I not know that? But anyway, um, the wrap up on this one is a bumbling Maxwell Smart, Agent eighty six for control, battles the evil forces of chaos with the help of his competent partner, Agent ninety nine. That is very succinct. Indeed. Starring uh, one Don Adams as Maxwell Smart, uh, and Barbara Feldon as ninety nine. Did they ever? They probably did give her full name at some point in the series. Nope. Actually, nope. that's a point of trivia that I left off. They uh, Even after they got married in the show, they occasionally referred to her as Mrs. Smart, but they never called her by her real name. Ah. All right. Well, Edward Platt as chief and going into some of the recurring characters or smaller characters, whatever. Bernie Koppel as Siegfried. 
Stacy Keach Sr. as Carlson, Gordon Jump, <laughs> the famous Gordon Jump as Hobson. Don't go to his bike shop. <laughs> so you can go to you can go to where he sells the refrigerator, though. <laughs> and those turkeys. <laughs> Sid Haig is Bruce, Len Lesser as Ludden, and Don Rickles as Sid Krim. My bastard father. Well, in the Don Rickles episode, wait, is that already in the trivia? I don't want to. No, I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't have that no, in nothing there. about Rickles in there. No. Nope. Uh, Don Rickles episode became a two-parter because it was the only one uh, where Don Adams was encouraged by Rickles to ad lib, and it was so funny they made it uh, split across two episodes. Nice. I, I I didn't even realize Rickles was in one of these. I'm gonna have to look it up. Yeah, uh, normally Don Adams did not. He stuck to the script, but Rickles egged him on, and apparently it was way funnier because he was ad-libbing. Hmm. Well, and some of the people I threw in here, like um, Lynn Lesser, who's come up previously, was uh, Uncle Leo on Seinfeld. Oh! <laughs> and Sid Haig, of course, is a personal favorite of mine because he's Captain Spaulding. Yeah, oh, yeah. But this was back in the day when he was uh, a young buck. This was right around uh, when Spider Baby came out, which if you've ever How seen are we that. we back on Spider Baby again? We always we end up talked there. about Spider Baby. We have definitely talked about Spider Baby. We talked about, what are we going to do, Spider Baby or Eight-Legged Freaks or whatever? No, Spider Baby is the really bizarre black and white movie about a family of serial killers that is the head of them is okay, Lon Okay, well, then maybe we have not talked about that. Lon Chaney Jr. <laughs> in one of his last You talk about that all the time, Joel. I do actually. It's a bizarre but fun movie. Um, no, you're thinking of uh, Eight Legged Freaks and Big Ass Spider. That's what. Okay, Big Ass Spider. Yeah. That I really want to do. But by all I means, mean, let's talk about Spider Baby for the next twenty minutes. <laughs> okay. So uh, it takes place in. This no, so, all right, moving on to trivia for this show that we're at currently talking, talking, talking about. See, this is why you don't let me talk more than anyway. Trivia. When Don Adams was negotiating his salary, he had his choice between more money per week, per week, and no ownership stake in the show, or less money per week and part ownership. He chose the ownership deal and never regretted it. I hmm. bet. That's yeah. like uh, Robert Downey Jr. with Marvel saying, I'll take a little bit on the back end instead. Of yeah. Or, or Lucas with the toys. <laughs> yeah, that worked out. Yeah, that, that he did all right with that. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. Barbara Feldon was two inches taller than Don Adams. In order to make it appear that Adams was taller than Feldon, he would either stand on a small platform or Feldon would stoop down. How is, you know, okay, anyway. Also, for most of the show's run, Feldon wore mostly flat shoes and very rarely wore high heels. Stand on a small platform. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't even want to explain what happened there. I don't know. It was funny, though. But I didn't realize. That I, just don't, I don't. I don't get how like the short people when they do that. Like, how is that any less emasculating than just being shorter than them? Like, like you're like, no, oh, no, everything's cool. I'm standing on a crate. Uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to. I kind of want to go back and watch another episode now and see if like it's ever obvious at all. I'm just looking at promotional stills, and yeah, they've always got him a little higher than she is. Hmm. This, you know, who cares? Jesus. That's weird. Um, I mean, it was a different Jackie Chan has proven that tiny people can kick ass. No joke. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, control and chaos were supposed to be acronyms, but Mel Brooks and Buck Henry never came up with anything for them to stand for. I thought that was awesome. Because number one, funny. 
that's kind of being lazy, but at a point they probably just were like, you know, it's funnier just to not worry about it. Yeah, we're just not going to do this. And if Josh would have known far enough advance, maybe who could have come up with one for him? Maybe, yeah. Not happening now. Involved. <laughs> um, the series aired on two different networks during its run. When NBC canceled it after four seasons, it was picked up by CBS, which aired its fifth and final season. Which is not that nowadays. That's like almost commonplace. If a show dies too early and there's enough fan base, it gets picked up somewhere. But this, I don't know. Was this even really a thing back then? I don't recall it happening too often. I mean, usually when a show got canceled, it just gone. And they'd like revive it as a different show. Like, I mean, I love Lucy went to the Lucy show went to, you know, whatever. Just you could have 12 hours of Lucy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they just would make a new show with the star. That's kind of weird. And Josh, you said you watched one of the you watched the final episode, right? Oh, yeah. The the last episode was super racist. Even more so than the first episode? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the first episode was pretty... Ra- we'll get to that. Well, Mel Brooks is kind of known for some racist humor, so it wasn't exactly surprising. It was just a little bit uh, non-traditional for today. <laughs> it, was, it was jarring. Like, we're talking beyond bl- what I've come to expect from, like, Blazing Saddles and whatnot. Yeah. But, yeah, well, like, like Joel said, we'll get there in a second. Last bit of trivia... Um, there was a comic book adaptation of the series published by Dell Comics that ran from 1966 to 1967. Some stories were drawn by the artist Steve Ditko, co-creator of Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. Nice. I thought that was pretty cool because it's going to get an artist to do that. I mean, might as well get a big name. Was he a big name at that point or was he starting off? I don't know that he was that big of a name at that point. Um, I was actually looking it up to see It'd be interesting if it was like one of the things that kind of made him. Let's see. Well, I mean, the thing is, is back in the 60s, he was a working artist. And I don't know that aside from maybe Stanley, maybe not even Stanley, that there was a whole lot of stardom attached to being even a Marvel Comics creator. Not the way there has been in the last 20 years. Yeah, that, that back in the day, then it was they didn't care about anything but the book itself. Um, all of that came later. But it says Spider-Man was about, well, it says he, uh, there was the comment about it coming, them coming up with it in the 50s. Um, and I was trying to see if they had Amazing Fantasy was 1962. So this would have been post Spider-Man. Hmm. Yes. Steve Ditko just died recently too, just back in June. Yep. 90 years old. Damn. I did not realize that, that he had just died. I even know that name. That's how prolific he is. Yeah. It's smart. Steve Ditko. I was trying to see if there's any images out there of the comic that I could post in the chat because that's good radio, right? (laughs) (laughs) So my memories of this, I, I, of course, remember all the catchphrases, remember the shoe phone, remembered that 99 was gorgeous and that Maxwell Smart was kind of an idiot. And spies would always be hiding in the weirdest places. For sure. Uh, and you also had uh, the doors at the beginning and the end. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. And that the was. Oh yeah, of course. Do 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 do. It sticks in your head. Yes. It's very kind of traditional. Well, when we were watching the movie, Julian, I was commenting about how 
That sounds like the spy music they use in every spy movie. <laughs> uh, but at the time, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, what what are both your guys? What are all three of our memories of this from, from the beginning? Like, um, I, I remember I remember watching it as a kid. Um, and like you said, you know, remembering all the iconic stuff. But I mean, I don't I don't remember much about it specifically, other than those iconic things. Because I was pretty young when I was watching it. Well, it was you know definitely. Uh, in syndication at that point and just picked up by whatever station was going to buy episodes to air. Um, And so I remember I used to watch it uh, quite a bit. I I don't remember, um, you know, any specific episodes at that point. And um, when I went back and watched it, it kind of, in my mind, it was a little different than what it was on (laughs) what I was watching. But like you said, like the shoe phone and the red uh, car, whatever kind of car that was, Tommy the Duck is going to get mad because he probably knows exactly what kind of car it is. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, the the car and then, of course, 99 and their relationship and how kind of goofy and bumbling he was. And then if obviously, like Josh alluded to at the beginning of the episode with the whole, would you believe that famous tagline? What about you, Josh? I mean, this this was a big part of my childhood, not as big as, say, Lost in Space, but uh, I, I distinctly remember uh, Maxwell Smart being my first spy even more than Bond was. Really? Yeah, I mean, I didn't get into Bond movies until I was a teenager, so Maxwell Smart was kind of my representation. Like, I didn't think all spies were idiots, <laughs> obviously. Well, they made, they made it kind of, you know, Plain that he was not the you know he was not the, your normal suave spy. So even if you weren't like a fan of other spy novels, you pretty much knew he was the, the odd guy out. And I kind of think that how much I loved uh, Get Smart as a kid, even though I hadn't thought about it until we talked about doing the show in years, it probably affected my love for Archer. Yeah. I, well, that's I mean that's definitely a a pretty I mean I'm sure that's part of where Archer came from. Um. Obviously, Archer is a lot more adult than this was, but and and you think about the stories. I mean, Agent Ninety Nine was always there to to be the 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 the, the brains of the outfit. I'm but, trying to think of other spy things I watched as a kid, like uh, Lancelot Link. Oh, Secret Chimp. Yep, I Do never that. watched that. I rarely watched I Spy. Yeah, I never really knew much about that, or even uh, remember it being on until they did the the movie and i think my mom used to mention it occasionally she would talk about whenever like the cosby show was on because it wasn't that was the one he was on right yeah she'd be like he was on i spy and i'm like what's that because <laughs> it wasn't like on syndication regularly at that point yeah i, w- I watched some i spy because of my dad he showed me some old episodes and stuff but yeah was that similar to this though i don't really know anything about it no i spy was very serious oh i always thought it was a comedy for some reason nope I mean, there were comedic elements, but uh, I mean, but yeah, it was it was very much like a um, like a Man from Uncle kind of thing. Really? Mm-hmm. See, my uh, whole Bill life. Cosby, Bill Cosby was like a was a safe cracker and a joke cracker. <laughs> but boom, boom, choo, and a panty cracker. Um, I, my whole life, cracker. I always thought, no, you put it in a drink. That uh, I thought it was a comedy thing, and I think when they made the movie with what was it, Owen Wilson and somebody else that they turned it into a comedy. So maybe that also influenced my, <laughs> my impression. Well, it's like, you know, they turned Starsky and Hutch into a comedy too. That's yeah. But wait, again, we are, we are off a little bit 
yeah, we're sorry. We're getting off topic. I think the other big thing that always, uh, I always remember was the cone of silence gag, which was almost every episode. Yeah. So funny. Like, and it, and it never got old, like no matter how, how many times I used it. Well, and that's the thing with going back and watching it. Um, when I watched the first episode, first thing I noticed was how incredibly racist it was. Oh my God. Yes. But it wasn't, there was one line in it that made me go, okay, this makes it a little better. And it, and it almost flipped it on its head a little bit and which was unusual at the time, but where um, he's talking to, I'm trying to think of what his name was. Cause he kept making fun of him. The, the Mr. The claw. Um, Craw, Mr. Craw, Mr. Craw. Yeah. He was, he was talking to him about, you know, well, why did you uh, kidnap so many blonde women? He's like, you know, Mr. Smart, all you Americans look alike. And I just was like, okay, that's funny because um, it was a nice, you know, twist on the, the theme, but um, I, I didn't remember it being as cartoony as it was um, in my head. For some reason it was, it was, it was funny, but not quite as slapsticky. I'm going to, I'm going to read to you a description I sent to a friend of mine who, who asked me what we were talking about. And then he asked, you know, how the, how the show was holding up. Uh-huh. I, I, this, I think this is a pretty good summation of it. I said, the jokes are easy and formulaic. It's racist as shit. <laughs> it, it's vaudeville. It's hokey. And it's awesome. Yeah, I, I still enjoyed watching it. I, yeah, I don't know that it still good. held up, but it was still entertaining. Yeah, it was definitely dated, but it was still just a fun ride. I mean, like the, some of the jokes were very, you know, very, you could see them coming a mile away. But you know, back in the day, those were in fresh jokes. You know, I mean, well, I, I enjoyed it. I, I watched, like I said, I watched a bunch of episodes. I think that's one of the things that kind of threw me off a little bit because when I saw, because I didn't realize who was who were the creators or uh, producers of it, that I was, I was expecting a little bit smarter humor, and like you said, the jokes felt very easy. But then again, it was 1965, so it wasn't like it is now where, you know, you've got to be whip smart uh, to keep people's attention. Yeah. Well, I mean, also like you got to think about it. These were the guys that kind of started invented TV, TV comedy. You know, I mean, these were, these were not old stale jokes when they were telling them in 65. Some of them might still have been obvious, but I don't know. I thought the whole thing was just kind of fun. And when you go back and watch stuff from the sixties, like if you compare the pacing of this to an, average episode of say the man from uncle this moves so much smoother and cleaner like I, I i didn't find myself nodding off in the middle of an episode well and that's another good point that i didn't think about because i was thinking in terms of like uh there was a lot of it that definitely felt very dated but uh, i guess when you look at it from that perspective that the jokes at the time weren't hadn't been rehashed a thousand times that does make it a little bit better I mean, I kind of want to go back and watch some more, <laughs> some more. Uh, but um, I was trying to think there was something I, I thought I had notes about the, one of the other episodes I watched. Don't wait on my account. Oh, well, that's what we were doing. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what we were doing. Um, this the, is the part where you guys talk to uh, the other thing I noted that, uh, that I'd forgotten was a catchphrase is he screwing up and accidentally hurting the chief. Sorry about that, chief. <laughs> right. Uh, what did you guys think of the chief? Speaking of him. 
not, I mean, he was he was mostly there to be the straight man to everything. He didn't really get a whole lot of laughs himself. Right. And I, and in later seasons, he stopped so much being a foil for Maxwell Smart and is almost uh, more of a uh, foil for Larrabee, who is off screen for the first couple seasons, but now, starts showing up. Refresh. Who's Larrabee again? Because I've seen that name in the trivia and stuff, and I don't. Larrabee is whenever the chief is calling into the office, he's almost always calling and asking for Larrabee, having Larrabee do something. And Larrabee becomes an on-screen character uh, kind of sparingly in the first season, but he's in just about every episode by the fifth. Really? Yeah. I do not remember that character, and I didn't watch far enough into it to get to where he was. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, I believe he was played by a cousin of Don Adams. Huh, I do not remember this character. But yeah, there, I mean, there's pictures of all three of them together. Now, what about Fang? I, I did not remember there being a dog in it. Well, Fang was uh, one of the two demands made by the studio in the production of this. The other one was roundly rejected by Mel Brooks. They wanted a dog and they wanted... Uh, Maxwell Smart's mom to be a part of the show where like at the end of every show he'd go back to his mom in her house coat and explain how everything went. What? Yeah. Those were the two things the studio wanted and he called that a reverse cotter. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, basically uh, Mel Brooks was quoted as saying Maxwell Smart does not have a mother. He never has. He never will. <laughs> uh, that makes sense. I love Mel Brooks. He's got so much don't give a fuck. It's ridiculous. Well, I'm glad they didn't do that because that would have made that character. Uh, it just would have been weird. Right? You, you don't want a too aware Maxwell smart. That ruins the joke. Yeah. And I mean, just the fact that he's on his own, he's, he's somehow become an agent and yet he's completely incompetent. You don't need to add anything else to that. There's enough there just, I disagree own. a little bit with you there. He's not completely incompetent. He is he is skilled as a spy. He just he's dumb. Right. He is still an expert marksman and a pretty decent hand-to-hand fighter. I mean, the comparison from Maxwell Smart to Archer is not completely off. It's just Archer is also a horrible person. Right. And Archer is smarter. He just makes what he knows are bad decisions. Yeah. He's, yeah, Max. He's more, he's more of a of, of a nihilist than than. Maxwell Smart. Maxwell Smart has got a. You're right. He's he's got a good heart. Uh, he he's out there to do the right thing. He just sometimes getting to that point kind of he goes the long way around. Yeah, he, he's an idiot. He's not a, a terrible spy, but he's mostly good at the ass kicking parts of being a spy. Yeah, and his and his luck is off the charts. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's for sure. Whenever he is determining who the the uh the culprit is and just stumbles upon it accidentally uh he just confessed what oh yeah <laughs> right i knew it well i'm pretty sure it's not me <laughs> and that voice just the it's it's the, the whole character is very distinct like they're uh, anytime you hear him even the slightest you know because he did voiceovers and cartoons and stuff if you heard his voice even just a little bit, you automatically know exactly who it is. Um, and and like his catchphrases in that voice are so iconic that they still exist in pop culture today. And kids that have never even seen the show don't know where it's from, but they get it. 
Like if you say, you know, I mean, if you say like the missed it by that much, I mean, you're, you'll probably get a couple kids that even, you know, are like, yeah, I recognize that from, you know, but they all know what it's from. Right. And, and I mean, that's kind of the definition of iconic. Like it's, it's transcending, you know, in, into the pop lexicon. Well, like the shoe phone, if somebody grabs their shoe and is going to talk on it, I don't think that was used in any other show other than this one. I definitely agree with that. Um, now, one of the things that I, I noticed, uh, this is what I was looking for, was um, when he he met with the the guy that was providing him with the weapons, and he's like going through like this does this and this does this, and well, number one, they reused an exact joke in the movie when he talks about the if you ever get caught and yeah, you, yeah, how do I get them to take this? <laughs> right, you, this this pill will kill a man and under 10 seconds or whatever. Well, how do I get them to take it chief? Um, is that he's got his guy that's, that's giving him his weapons, which you think of James Bond with, with M or you think of, um, uh, the naked gun with, uh, I can't think of what his guy is, but they've all got their, their weapons expert that's in the lab. That's cooking up their gadgets. Um, and somehow it's always, whatever they've recently invented is always the perfect weapon for something they need in the next caper. That's <laughs> show logic, right? <laughs> that's that's the way it works. It's never like you gave me this laser cutter and I didn't need it at all. <laughs> didn't you read the script? <laughs> uh, you should have given me something to prepare for all the ice I encountered. I was kind of curious after the the whole line about the the uh, um, suicide pill whether they went back and mined any other jokes for the film. Um, they sure most they did. certainly did, uh, including one from the final episode. The entire bit about the beaded curtain and knocking the beads off is lifted straight from the last episode. Really? Yep. So I wonder if they basically just cut and paste the movie. Well, maybe we'll get to that. But <laughs> yeah, that's more second half. But yeah, that was definitely they definitely looked at the beginning and the end for a couple of gags. And I bet you if we went back through and watched the entire five season run that there'd be a few other ones that would pop up. Most likely. Yeah. Yeah. I can almost guarantee it. I, I, I mean, if the jokes are that well-written that they play, if you have the opportunity then, to rip off Mel Brooks, you just fucking do it <laughs> with his blessing. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he got part of the royalties for this movie, you know, listed as one of the writers. So he's like, yeah, take it. I want to make a boatload. Didn't he, uh, didn't he produce the, um, the remake but, the movie? Did he? He's probably listed as a producer. Yes, he is a producer. He's at least listed as a producer for the film. I noticed that when I watched it. I, that's just, I, I couldn't imagine that he wouldn't be. Um, he may have thrown him a couple of dollars or whatever or jumped well, in the ship or something. I'm sure he owned the, the rights to the character anyway, or characters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just popped on here. Let's see. Produced by... I don't see him listed there, but maybe he's further down like executive producer. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Right. And in this five-year run, one of the other things I noticed was how many guest stars there were. Yeah. It's almost like Batman. Yeah. And that's what uh, you and I were talking about before the show, and I was going through the cast list, and I'm like, I really have to stop, because otherwise this list is just going to be huge. Because like Terrence, uh, not that, that's the new one, Terrence Stamp, he wasn't in the old one. Terrence and Philip. Terry Cruz. 
Your father? Not yet. <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> Terrence uh, Trent Darby. Johnny Carson, Ernest Borgnine, uh, James Kahn. And Margaret. And Canfield. I'm, I'm on there now, too. Buddy Hackett. <laughs> Buddy Hackett. Buddy Hackett played uh, a chaos agent who was a caricature of Wilmer from uh, the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> nice. Uh, you've got Vic Tay back here, of course, uh, uh, from Al. Al, yeah. Al from Alice. Huh. Anything else? I'm just looking through the list here because there was, oh, Billy Barty. That was the one that I thought was kind of odd. Um, Ted Knight was on there <laughs> um, who went on to have his own rather hefty uh, sitcom career. Alan Oppenheimer, another one that uh, might not know the name, but you know, the face. Um, yeah. At this point, we're just getting into naming off names and kind of minutia. I mean, you've got uh, this, this inspector Clouseau meets James Bond character. Who's constantly going up against these wacky chaos agents. Luckily, that's, mostly inept. Well, that's just the chaos agents. I mean, are really everybody. Well, yeah. It's it's a wonder that anybody actually gets any spying done <laughs> with all the nonsense that's going on. Uh, oh, thing. another uh, callback uh, in the second half. We're going to talk about Jaime the robot. Uh, it was was a running gag. Yeah. Uh, built originally as a chaos agent. And just the fact that they named it Jaime, like, oh my God. <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah. Like, how do you get away with that? It's like it's like naming a character Boner. Boner's to bone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Boner, we miss you. No, we don't. How, how do you get away with that? Like, how do you get that past the censors? Well, and again, it it was the time. I mean, there you could you could get away with more i don't know it seemed that way anyway all right uh since it seems like uh we're, we're kind of does anyone have anything else to say boners to bone <laughs> i'll take that as a no <laughs> yeah i think i think we're we've milked this one all right so uh when we come back after the break we're gonna talk about the uh 2008 i believe it was yep uh film that's uh, kind of took things in a slightly different direction, starring Steve Carell and Anne Hathaway. Would you believe it did? All right, we'll be back. All right, and we're back, and we're ready to talk about Get Smart from 2008. The uh, short tagline on this one is a highly intellectual but socially awkward spy is tasked with preventing a terrorist attack from a Russian spy agency. That's about the most generic tagline I could imagine. Sounds like about 12 other spy movies. Uh, we will go in. We've got the cast here. Uh, we've got the incomparable Steve Carell as Maxwell Smart and Hathaway, who is pretty much my celebrity list. <laughs> I think she's at least the top at the moment uh, as Agent 99. What happened to Jennifer Connelly? I thought she was number one. Uh, no, not for a long time. Hmm. Really? Anne Hathaway, huh? Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Dwayne Johnson as Agent 23. He's the top of my list. <laughs> nice. Uh, Alan Arkin as the chief. Terrence Stamp 
as Siegfried. Now, Terrence Stamp, when I saw this guy, at first I thought it was... Uh, Fucking chicken. <laughs> oh, shoot. Um, Scottish actor. Roddy McDowell. Really? Yeah. At Roddy or Malcolm? Malcolm, probably, yeah. Uh, Malcolm's the elder. Malcolm point. is... Uh, oh, he's in the middle. Oh, he's, Jesus, dude. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw him in Shadow, though, I thought it was Malcolm McDowell. Clockwork Orange is Malcolm. Okay, definitely. Roddy Malcolm. is Cornelius, uh, Planet of the Apes. Our uh, Bernadette from The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yes. Uh, Terry Crews, who is also on my list. <laughs> <laughs> As Agent 91. I always love seeing Terry Crews in just about anything. Oh, Terry Crews is amazing. Uh, David Kitchener is Larrabee. Keckner. Keckner? Keckner. Yeah, I also love him. I miss your musk. <laughs> uh, James Kahn as the president. Bill Murray in a bit cameo as Agent 13. Yes, in the funny cameo. Which was, f- oh, we'll get to that, I guess. And Patrick Warburton as Jaime the Robot. So uh, the scene with Bill Murray, the kids were watching it with me because I figured they'd enjoy it, which they did. Um, They're both like, that is so sad. (laughs) (laughs) When uh, this movie first started and the cast list starts coming up, I knew Steve Carell was in it and I saw Anne Hathaway within a couple of moments. I'm like, awesome, cool. And then I was like, wait a minute, Dwayne Johnson, Alan Arkin, Terry Crews. James freaking Khan. I just thought this was an unusually good cast for a remake of a spy comedy from the sixties. Well, that's one of, one of the things that, that came up uh, when I posted that I was watching this was so many people are like such a good cast, but dot, 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 you know, but we'll, we'll get to that after the trivia. All right. Yeah. On to trivia. One of the items in controls display cases uh, in the original scene where they've got the museum for the defunct control agency is uh, two small domes connected by a tube, which was a portable cone of silence from the original series. Actually, from that first episode, the pilot. No, they didn't use the cone of silence in the pilot. Yeah, I don't remember the music. Anymore. I'm pretty sure they did, consider, no. or at least episode one. No, I, I watched the first three episodes. They didn't use it at all. I was disappointed, actually. Oh, yeah. I now I'm because I watched maybe I watched three in a row then. And did the cone of <laughs> silence. Are you asking Google first? Get no, this is just how I talk to my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy's like, when was it? No, I don't need precursors. All right, move along. Uh, keep yeah, going. we'll, we'll move it along. Not a, I'll look nice. this up. And... When the project was in development hell back in 1998, Jim Carrey was originally attached to Star. Uh, did, uh, Steve bad Carell. idea. Steve Carell is a much better analog to uh, Don Adams. I completely agree. Much better. Oh, my God. You know what it is? You know what it is? I think I... I think I didn't actually watch the pilot. I watched the second and third episodes. Yeah, because I, I, you seemed very sure, but I just watched these like three hours ago. Yeah, yeah, because I think I because it does it definitely says it appeared in the pilot episode. So I think what happened because at one point I did realize I was like I I think I missed an episode and what I missed was apparently the pilot. So whoops. 
Yeah. Yeah, because the pilot also opens up with him talking on his shoe phone. Like the big gag is he's a secret agent at the opera and his shoe starts ringing. Okay. Yeah. I didn't see that scene. So, all right. Yeah. I, I saw the second, third, and fourth episodes, not the first, second, and third. Then, okay. Uh, in the uh, opening scene, there's a picture of a wanted criminal on Max's refrigerator. The name of the criminal is Mr. Big, which is the name of the first villain in the original series. Once again, that pilot. And the photograph is one of Michael Dunn, who played the role. Hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, that was a that was a callback that I immediately caught when I went back to watch that first role, uh, that first episode. Uh, Don Adams, who played the original Maxwell Smart, was born Donald Yarmy. The airline that took Max in 99 to Russia was called Yarmy International as a tribute to him as he passed away before this film was made. Yeah. Just a couple explains of years before. Explains why he didn't make a cameo. Well, yeah. Bernie Koppel did, though. Did he? Yeah. He was the guy. He was in the car. He was driving a car when uh, during the last part of the movie when they're trying to stop the bomb. Right. Oh, I missed that. Well, because most of the big, I, I know that uh, Barbara Feldon turned down a role and Edward Platt and Don Adams were dead. So, yeah, I guess Bernie Koppel would be the next go-to in terms of going for a cameo. Well, because I saw him and I was like, what's, um, uh, what was his name on the love boat? He was the, the doctor, Captain, wasn't he? Captain, oh. Captain Stooping was um, the diff, uh, the other guy. I can't think of his name. Oh, we were just talking about the doctor the other week, but that's not important right now. Yeah, Over. Uh, WWE wrestler, the great Kali, plays the role of Dalip Singh, an assassin in the movie. Dalip Singh is his name in real life. Hmm. Yeah, and he, li he lives like literally 30 minutes away from where I live in an area of Houston called... Uh, um, uh, oh my God! Called Umble or a Tascasita, either or. Yeah, that he dude is. The, in the, yeah, in the in the bars and stuff. Yeah, we talked about this before about how he how huge he is. Yeah, he's I a, just he's so big it's hard to like process how large this man is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've never been in the presence of a larger human being. Uh, moving on, in the Latin American dubbed version, Agent Eighty Six is voiced by Mexican actor Jorge. Oh, wow. That's a rough one. Arvizua. Jorge Arvizua. A.K.A. El Tata. Which is much easier to say. That's why they gave him that nickname. No kidding. Who also played the voice of the original Maxwell Smart in the Get Smart television series for the Mexican dub. Following his style, the dubbed version includes many local puns and colloquialisms. So we wouldn't get it at all. Right. I've well, that's never heard cool. that. Uh, when they do that, where they was a local. <laughs> Damn it, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Stop talking. When they uh, localize the jokes, because the puns that they're going to miss because words don't rhyme in English or the uh, sayings don't translate. You were trying to say. I didn't. I didn't know that they did that. That they did that at all in terms of that's the big thing he had to add. <laughs> well, I, I didn't know that when they, they dub stuff into other languages that they added regional or you know cultural colloquialisms. And well, there's got to um, be like cultural jokes just for Americans that wouldn't make any sense, so they 
they just you know kind of switch it up a little bit. I imagine that's part of the reason. Come on, man, America. <laughs> uh, Kristen Croik, Jessica Alba, Jennifer Love Hewitt, and Rachel McAdams were all considered for the part of Agent Ninety Nine. Pretty good list. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I would. As much as I really, really like Anne Hathaway, really, I, I'm a fan also of Kristen Kroik and Rachel McAdams. Well, who doesn't love Rachel McAdams though? Oh, plus she's just a spectacular actress, and she's so fetch. Now, <laughs> so stop it. Um, in in uh in in the scene where she shows the picture of what she looked like before the surgery, who was that? That is an excellent question i was wondering if that was some kind of in joke that i didn't get well because at first i'm like i was thinking maybe they would show like the original uh 99 or something you know just as like a because she said she was older than she said i I originally when they pulled it when when she went to pull the picture out i thought it was going to be a picture of her in the before picture from princess diaries um apparently it's a young picture of barbara felden okay so it was oh okay because she had blonde hair, if I remember correctly. Yeah, she did. Uh, and Short that's, blonde hair. Because I thought it would be kind of funny when they were playing up the angle of her being older than she said she was. But uh, yeah, showing her <laughs> with the frizzy hair and the glasses. And everything. So, okay, so in their care, in in their storyline, she's the same ninety nine. Yes. Right, and I don't. They don't directly say that there was another Maxwell Smart even though they show the suit and they show all the stuff. So it's kind of implied that there was, it's one of those, they don't really go either way. Yeah. They, they kind of, yeah. Well, cause he, he takes the car, uh, at the one point and yeah, they've got the suit and there's a lot of references to the original character. And- right. And a lot of that I think is wink and a nod to fans of the show. Not necessarily in this universe. There's definitely been another Maxwell smart. Oh, yeah, because he definitely it's not it's not like um, James Bond or something where it could be a, a code name. Right. Anybody. And he's kind of the office joke in some ways. So if there had been a famous control agent named Maxwell Smart before, you would think that as a gag, they would someone would have said something. Or it wouldn't be somebody who you would name yourself after. For sure. Well, and that was uh, one of the big differences in this version was this Maxwell Smart was actually super intelligent, um, but at yeah, least that, that was the because like you know, like I said, they made, it was a big kind of a point of character in the first one about how dumb he was, and he's definitely not dumb in this one. He's just a little naive, right? He's a pencil pusher who is ridiculously thorough to the point of being annoying, and that's the very different direction they went in. I did love um, in the initial parts where the Rock was like he it was like. Uh, Maxwell Smart was his little buddy. Yeah, <laughs> um, like that scene where they're they're uh, playing like the paintball type thing. Uh, the training session. Yeah. The training. Yeah, um, and and they do show that uh, he still retains the ability of you know being a, a actually a really good marksman. Yes. Because um, like when he's they definitely, he's definitely not incompetent. He's just inexperienced and naive in this version. Well, like the whole scene in the bathroom of the the airplane where. Why would you continue to use the <laughs> mini crossbow instead <laughs> of just the knife? <laughs> it's not like he tries different things to try and you know make it work, like the blowtorch or anything. He, he just, just keeps, keeps taking the same yeah, blind shot. <laughs> which 
I was like, okay. Cause he is, he's very, he's a very smart guy. I mean, he, he learned what Russian just from listening to the conversations or whatever. I don't know. So he's not an idiot. He's just inept. I don't know. Not very street smart. Also known as naive. Yes. Shut up, Pat. (laughs) So yeah, they, they kick off the whole thing pretty much with control, uh, inside a museum to control. The world believes that control is no longer an agency. So they're like a double secret spy organization and they get attacked. And the only people who, whose covers haven't been blown are agent 99 who just had plastic plastic surgery and Maxwell smart. Who's always wanted to be a field agent passed the test, but was too valuable as an analyst to ever get promoted. Um, and something that I thought was kind of fun watching this with the kids was since they'd never seen the original show, they didn't know some of the gags that were used. So like the beginning scene where he's walking down, uh, all the doors keep opening and, um, you know, one after the other, Juliana's like, geez, how many doors are there? Right. <laughs> and you know, we've all seen it a hundred times, but to them it was brand new. So it was kind of fun. It is, a, it is a fun little joke. Like at some point, you you know, the first couple times you see it, you're like, how many, yeah, like how is this your exact reaction? How many doors are there going to be? <laughs> well, and then you get to the phone booth, which is weird enough on its own. You've gotten through all of these uh, big mechanical doors. Not only is there just a weird phone booth sitting there that has no right to be there, but you have to put in a dime <laughs> right before he dials it to drop down. I Imagine love- if you get all the way down there and you don't have a dime. Like, damn it. <laughs> well, and you think about in this day and age, there who has a phone booth anyway <laughs> and i li- i like how he went, when they addressed the whole thing he's like the elevator's doing the thing where it drops you down too fast <laughs> now what about the cone of silence cuz i know you said that was one of your favorite bits from the original what what did you think of this version i thought it was funny even though it went a little bit too long but to to watch keckner do the freak out and smash his face up against it it was almost worth it yeah, for sure. And Keckner and uh, Cruz as the office bullies, just hilarious. Like yeah. they're great in everything, but like even though they're heels in this one, they're fun to watch. Now I can kill you with this post-it note. <laughs> well, then I kept uh, trying to place people together in kind of the six degrees uh, game because Alan Arkin and Steve Carell were in Little Miss Sunshine, and Steve Carell and David Keckner were in uh, Anchorman, and you know, there's all these connections with other movies now. The two um, characters that created the 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 tech uh, is it Lloyd? Is it? I want to say Harold and Lloyd, but that's like that's Harold Lloyd, the silent film actor. But those characters, Lloyd, that's right. Yeah. Lloyd and something. Those two guys actually had a spinoff um, mini movie that that came out. That I think that was. I don't know if it was before the movie in the theaters, but it's, I think it's on the DVD. Uh, um, Bruce and Lloyd. Bruce, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, because I almost went so far to. Uh, put uh masioka because like he's a recognizable name at least from heroes yep well and the um the other guy is the son of uh he's the son of a famous uh well i won't say famous actor but he's the son of um another actor and he he does he's done a lot of sitcom work um i'm trying to find his name here so i could look him up oh, also, nate torrance yeah, nate he also torrance. played the best friend in uh she was it she's the one that's she's her. out of my league she's out of my league yeah he is the that shaving scene in that movie was hysterical 
Yeah, he, he's been a bit part in a bunch of stuff, and he's done a lot of voice work. He's one of those guys that, you know, he's not got a huge um, resume, but he's, uh, I mean, when you see him, you you, you recognize him for, uh, I swear he was a son of somebody famous, but I'm looking on his. He's a funny yeah. guy. He does a good work. He just doesn't get a, a whole lot. Of <laughs> Is he related to Danny Torrance in any way? From, From the, Shining? the Shining? Fictional character? Red Robin. Yes, that guy. <laughs> uh, For some reason, I thought Danny Torrance was a director or something. Yeah, I, I, I'm apparently You're looking at Danny, somebody Danny else. Cario, the star of. Uh, oh shit! I can't, um, never mind. Samsonite. I was way <laughs> off. <laughs> Danny Terrio, the host of the dance show from the seventies. Like, son of a bitch! The joke is gone. I'm gonna just never mind. It's all right. A shame. Yeah. yeah, it was it was gonna be a, a glorious joke. Big <laughs> comedy. Like people will clamor and rend their clothes now that they didn't get to hear that joke. Yeah. Um Alan Arkin, <laughs> I, I thought was great. I mean he's always great, but like great casting for the chief. Mm -hmm. Uh in a lot of ways superior to the original. Like I found myself enjoying this. Like I was dragging my feet on watching this. I, I was not looking forward to seeing it. Uh, the cast raised an eyebrow, and by the end of the movie, I was like, you know, that wasn't great, but it was good. It's passable. Um, uh, that reminds me. Speaking of Alan Arkin, one of the best scenes with him in it was uh, when they're doing the, the in the car, and um, the swordfish gets stuck in the windshield. Oh yeah, absolutely. Are you I'm thinking what I'm thinking, Chief? <laughs> but Alan Arkin is is he's a he's a great great actor. He's got he's got amazing timing. Well, he, he can play just about anything, whether it's it's comedy or drama. He's he's consistently good across the board. Well, and you had the uh, Pentagon, the war room with all those other little cameos. I saw Kevin Nealon in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was funny. Uh, I'm trying to. What was the rest of that quote with the swordfish, though? Oh, is uh, are you thinking what I'm thinking, Chief? Uh, not unless you're thinking, holy shit, holy shit. A swordfish almost just went through my face. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. Thank you. It was going to bother me. I was looking on the quotes because I was just, I just saw the picture in the, on the IMDb page of it. And I just started laughing again. Uh, but there was no Fang anywhere to be seen. Was there? Yeah. Fang was in the uh, pet shop window at the beginning. He was wanting to buy him. And at the very end, 99, uh, when they get together, buys Fang for him. That's right. Okay. Cause I watched this first. Okay. I did too, but I also crammed everything into two days before the show as i do so it's yeah, still very fresh see i watched the show on monday and tuesday and i watched the movie on sunday so i uh watch them a little out of order i'm still watching the movie i have like two minutes left <laughs> still not <laughs> well you know maxwell smart dies so yeah what <laughs> why there's never a sequel <laughs> Um, some of the, Maxwell Smart is Lord Vader's father. Some of the directions they went with this, uh, in terms of him being the analyst and uh, uh, listening into the conversations, the whole thing with him and Kali when he realizes that Kali is one of the guys he's heard on the conversations. I just give him marriage advice. And standing, standing there holding a giant air conditioner above his head, and he's giving him marriage advice. Right. And then Kali walks off in tears. She's such a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and yet he still leaves him. It's a good, it's, yeah. It's a, it's a, I, I, I'm like you, Josh. I enjoyed it. I didn't expect to, but it was, it was a, it was what it was. It was just a fun little movie. It wasn't as funny as other movies. It wasn't as bad as other movies. It was just, you know, a solid remake. Yeah, it was not great, but probably deserved more credit than it ever got. Was yeah, kind of my take on it. Just the fact that they were able to reel in as many big names as they were um, has got to lend it some credibility. And I mean, you had The Rock early on um, before he was quite the superstar that he is now. Same thing with Carell. He was big, but he's not as big as he is now. Um, he was still kind of finding his voice um, in film because he'd done, you know, television. He'd been on the office already. Well, I mean, this is three years after the 40 year old version, which is going to be his big breakout. Right. Which if you watch that versus stuff, you know, currently, or even in the past four or five years, I mean, he's, he's definitely figured out who he is as an actor. And um, here it felt like he was still kind of banking on that, uh, he was trying not to play Michael Scott, Michael Scott in, right. in uh, Threat Level Midnight, basically, is what he was trying not to do. I guess that's fair. He's somewhere between Michael Scott and, and the 40-year-old virgin still at this point, I guess, is where I'm kind of heading. I, I get you, and that's why I was thinking. I was like, wait a minute. Uh, but between The Office and this, I, I wouldn't have said he wasn't a big name. Right. He was definitely that. a big name, and getting him for this role, I mean, was at the peak of his stardom. He had just left The Office and everything. And I mean, there really is a, a, in the office fandom. This they're like, hey, if you want to see the full threat level midnight, which is the movie that Michael Scott wrote, you know, in the, you know, they're like, just watch Get Smart. And you know, so despite you know him even trying, like, if he does any kind of spy movie, his fan base from the office is gonna draw that comparison for sure. So he had that kind of burden over his head, and he was trying to like not act like Michael Scott, but also well, be goofy at the same time. And then he had The Rock, who wasn't totally mugging for the camera he was a lot more toned down well and i love he had his haircut looked like it was spray painted on i think that's just his hair well yeah i i've seen him in a lot of stuff and it it seemed just even a little bit more unnaturally perfect in this than in some of the other stuff i've seen him in recently i didn't really notice that yeah that was one of the first things that uh picked up where he uh kills the fly robot without even looking at it and throws it in the trash uh right after he flirts with the uh secretary that completely ignores maxwell smart yep that's that my big first impressions like wow he he almost looks like an action figure especially with that hair how, how <laughs> clean the lineup is yeah i didn't notice that and I don't know what, at what point did you guys see the the betrayal heel turn coming? I caught it a l- little bit before it happened, but I wanted to believe just because of who he was that it wouldn't be a thing. But this was early enough on that uh, they could get away with it, and it wouldn't be quite as as shocking. Because as soon as uh, he said he didn't find any radioactive material in the bakery, I was like, okay, he's he's the inside man. And they said that uh, he used to date 99, so he's even got a motive, kind of crazy ex-boyfriend. It was pretty much when you found out he was the ex-boyfriend was when I started suspecting him. Really? Wow. Okay. I was a late to the game. Dude. So, yeah, this had a significant number of laugh out loud moments. It was two hours, but I, I didn't feel like it dragged. Right. 
um, because of the time and place it was made, it, I think the filmmakers knew that they had to pay homage to the original without just making this a Bond parody because just parodying Bond anymore, it, it's not funny anymore. It's been done too many times. I mean, in Austin Powers, you know, they, they did it perfectly. Right. Well, and then I think about like even further back, like in like Flint, the James Coburn films, you know, that yeah. was very much in that same lines. Or the first, the, same lines the first Casino Royale with Peter Sellers. <laughs> right. And you, you get all those, this kind of, especially a post Austin Powers world, you kind of have to bring something new to the table or this just looks like a tired sort of movie that didn't need to happen. And I think a lot of people kind of thought it was anyway, but I don't know that I completely agree. Like if this is on again, I'll probably watch it again. I won't seek it out or anything, but you wouldn't turn it off. Certainly I'm wouldn't turn it off. And I would probably be paying attention. Just sort of curious as to what, uh, let's see, rotten tomatoes on this one. Uh, critics had it at 50% which I think is a little lower than is fair. Audience score says 67%, which is about, I'd say that's probably fair. I think, I think both those ratings are about where they should be. Like, I mean, I would expect about half the critics to like it and half to hate it. And IMDb has it at 6.5 out of 10. Which is pretty close to that 67% audience score. So yeah, I think I can agree with that. All right, well, I mean, is, is that it for it? Are we, are we done with it? I mean, I, I th that's about what I've got to say about Get Smart. I, I was glad this show gave me an opportunity to take a look at it. I guess we can go to thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have watched this on my own if it wasn't for the show. So I Absolutely mean, not. So I'm I, glad I we did watch this. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was an enjoyable movie. And it's been on my list to watch with the kids at some point just because, you know, they like him from The Office and uh, they like The Rock. So it seemed like a kind of a no-brainer. So it gave me a good reason to watch it, too. All right. Yeah, I guess it is time for thumbs up, thumbs down. I'll go first. Um, I would I would, I would, would say thumbs up for both. I enjoyed the first one, you know, even though it was a little dated and a little campy and a lot racist. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, it was still, you know, kitschy and fun and, you know, had that, you know, you know the paying the homage to the original comedy and the, the comedic stylings of Mel Brooks. Yeah, we definitely know better now, and uh, it's it's a little cringy to watch the original, but you know, it, based on the pacing, the comic timing, the spectacular use of catchphrase, the original still gets a thumbs up from me. I, uh, to be fair, if I hadn't had pleasant memories of watching it as a child, it might not have. But it, I, would, it gets, I would agree with that, yeah. yeah. It gets the thumbs up from me, and uh, I, I am surprised at how much I liked this uh, the remake even though it wasn't a great movie i i thought it was at least a good movie so definitely gives a thumbs up from me uh, and for me i i'm right along with you on all of those i the original was uh, something that i watched quite a bit as a kid so definitely a thumbs up just from nostalgia and it, despite its racism it was still fun <laughs> and uh the new one i was expecting to enjoy it and i i wasn't let down so yeah, thumbs up as well. I mean, yeah, that's kind of like some of these episodes where we struggle a little bit more to talk about this stuff is kind of like breakfast at Tiffany's. We, we both kind of liked it. 
<laughs> and that's all we ha really have to say about either side of it. I mean, there's aside from some interesting, hopefully, facts that uh, also, <laughs> dug up. Also, like the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's, a little bit of racism. Yes, <laughs> all, yeah, yes. We, especially towards Asians. As, yeah. yeah. I mean, not the endearing kind of ra racism from Blazing Saddles. Right. Ugh. No, they no, don't do that. No, please don't do that. Uh, they just did that. <laughs> and they're not even trying to be funny or ironic or make a point. All right. So uh, next week we uh, have a show. Going a little bit off the map for it. Not, not one of our typical shows. It's one of our memory shows. We're going to be talking about uh, parents, what it's like to be a parent for some of us and what it's like to have parents for most of Some you. Some of us. Yeah. <laughs> now they just don't understand. Those of you who weren't hatched, you know. Right. Um, as always, if you have any suggestions for further shows or you want to chime in on this one, tell us what you thought about Get Smart, you can always give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. You can also find our archives on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, and Podverse FM, NoonFM.com. And you can hear us Saturdays at noon on Geek Life Radio. Can also Sorry. find us on Podchaser and iHeartRadio. Indeed. I knew I, was, I knew I was supposed to chime in there when there was a little bit of break. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Missed it by that much. Ah, I see what you did there. Well, Pat, if, if we're single by the time we're 55, we'll just get together. <laughs> you couldn't handle it. <laughs> I would I would blow your mind. <laughs> That's not, not just his mind. <laughs> <laughs>